Welcome to this week's podcast from Oceans Church in Orange County. We hope you're encouraged by this week's message. For more information, please visit our website at theoceanschurch.com. Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2, it's a Christmas story about, um, it's really the first responders of Christmas. And I could have I titled this talk, uh, First Responders, but uh, I thought I wouldn't do that this morning. Instead, I want to talk to you today about why Christmas, why Christianity. Why Christmas, why Christianity. And I'm going to try to do this in about 20 minutes or so. So if you have your Bible, Luke chapter, Luke chapter 8, or two, chapter 2, verse 8. It says this, now, now uh, they were in the same country, shepherds, say with me, shepherds, <clears throat> living out in the fields. They were out in the fields living keeping watch over the flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shined all around them. And they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good. Say with me, good. I want to stop for a moment and just say uh, sorry for everyone that went to a church expecting something good, but you didn't get good. You got bad news. I want you to know that I believe in God, not because someone told me how bad I was, but because someone told me how good God is. We're a good news church. Is that all right to be? I want you to not be afraid, for I bring good news of great joy that will be for Christian people. Come on, Jewish people. Come on, say it with me. All. All people. For there is born to this day, to you this day, in the city of David, a Savior. He wasn't just anybody. He was a who is Christ the Lord? And this will be a sign to you that you will find the babe wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with them a great angel, a multitude of heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, a choir, uh, some speculate, scholars say, this may have been the original Kanye choir. <laughs> Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace and goodwill towards men. So it was that when the angels had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds said to one another, let us now, say it with me, Go. Go to Bethlehem and see this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. And they came with haste, found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. When they had seen him, they made him widely, widely known, widely known, and saying which, uh, saying the things which were told to them concerning the child. And all those who heard it marveled at the things that were told by the shepherds. Mary kept all these things in her heart, pondered them. And wondered about them. And then the shepherds returned. Say with me. Returned. They went back. Where they returned to? Their, their fields. Their sheep. But they returned with uh, great praise. Glorifying God. Praising God. For all the things. I love it. This is what church should be. That they heard. And that they saw. Christianity is not just hearing. It's seeing. Come on. It's not just studying. It's experiencing. And uh, they praise God for that. So let's pray this morning, and I'll talk about why, why church, why Christianity, why, why, Christianity, why, uh, why Christmas. Lord, I just thank you for uh, just the ability for the next few moments to communicate how much you, you deeply love all those that are sitting in this room, and even all those that aren't. I pray, Lord, today for grace to, to, to share, to speak. I pray that you strengthen my voice even right now, and I uh, just ask that we have an awesome time together today. Let it be an awesome Christmas week, in Jesus' name, and everybody loves the Lakers, said amen. Amen. Amen, amen. Uh, I think one of the reasons why we have children is to remind us how smart we're not. There's three humble people in this church. I, uh, my, my kids, uh, they, they came hardwired from the factory with lots of questions. 
Lots of questions, uh, tons of questions, always asking dad, why do we do this? Why do we do that? Why are we going to church? Why do we go there? Why do we do this? And quite frankly, a lot of questions I had no answers for. And uh, I remember one day I was like, these kids ask these ridiculous questions. I knew all the answers at that point. And then one day my daughter stumped me in the car. She goes, daddy, what is that? What is that wire on the hood? I was like, that is a radio antenna. She says, what does it do? I said, It's a wire on the hood. <laughs> Didn't know exactly how to explain mass communications and radio frequencies to a three-year-old. And so there's just some things I didn't quite have a clean answer for. I didn't have a clean answer. I didn't know what to, I didn't know how to answer when she said, Daddy, why are stay-at-home moms always gone? <laughs> I, I didn't know why they call rush hour traffic rush hour when no one's moving. I don't know why there's no mirror at the self-checkout. I don't know why. I, uh, I don't know why people take marble for granted. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know a lot of things. There's a lot of things that just quite frankly don't have clean answers. They don't make a ton of sense. I, 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 I don't, I mean, there's certain things we say all the time that just really, uh, we don't even think about. I don't know why, like, it's okay for short people to call on tall people to help them with high things, but it's not okay. Come on. For tall people to ask short people to help them with low things. I don't know. I don't know why. There's a lot of things that just don't really, uh, I don't know why like roller coasters can capture a crystal clear image of me going 78 miles an hour, but we can't get a clear picture of a bank robber walking out of a 7-Eleven. There's just some things that just make zero sense. I just don't know why. I'm not sure. I, I don't know why we say certain words repetitively and they lose their significance. What do you mean? Like we say things like fireplace. Some genius in the beginning said, that's the place. Fire will be stored. Let's call it a fireplace. We said it so much we don't even think about what it means. It's like saying things like, uh, like trash can. Again, some genius is like, that can will be designated from here out for certain trash. Telephone, right? Someone's like, you tell you tell on that phone. <laughs> Telephone. And then we have words like Christmas, like Christ Mass. We, we say things like this time of year all the time. And I'll be honest, we've heard them so much. We've been around so long that uh, they've lost their significance to us. So this morning for the next 18 minutes, I'd like to just, if I can, pontificate a little bit on why I think Christmas and why I think Christmas is so, so awesome, why it's so special. And why Christmas and Christianity parallel and why they are, in some ways, uh, a microcosm of a larger picture. Are you ready to go? Yes. So here's what I want to focus on you this morning is uh, I believe Christmas, number one, if you're taking notes, I believe that Christmas and Christianity are both about the same thing. They're both about grace encounters. Grace encounters. What do you mean? It's funny to me that the Bible starts off with the Christmas narrative. The first people that are announced and invited to Christmas are shepherds in a field. So random. Now, we don't think it's a big deal today because we don't understand the world back then, but shepherds were basically about a slight notch above lepers. They were the lowest social economic people groups. They were the kind of the outcast of society. You would not, you would not on career day, the teacher would not say, Johnny, 
what do you want to be when you grow up? Johnny's eyes would not swell and say, a shepherd. That would be, that would be like desiring something awful. And so it's funny to me that Jesus would come on the very first Christmas and really not put a period or a comma, but an explanation point on the type of people that God's okay to associate with. He's all right, number one, associating with people with shepherds because, number one, God is a shepherd. He is the good, good shepherd. Come on, it's, it's who he is. It's who he is. He's a good, good father, too. Come on. He's a good shepherd, right? He is. He's a good shepherd, and, and he loves shepherds because he is one. He has a heart for people. He's got a heart for sheep. And uh, throughout scriptures, he's always had an affinity and a fascination for shepherds. Moses was a shepherd for 40 years. On the backside of the Sinai Peninsula, you have David was a shepherd, practicing his slingshot, playing his harp. Come on, emo and warrior shepherd. And God would raise him up to become a king. Joshua shepherded the people of Israel after Moses did. God loves shepherds. Secondly, I thought it was interesting because not only did he love shepherds, he, he, I, think he, I think he loved shepherds and invited shepherds, number one, to come be a part of the first grace encounter because shepherds uh, are, number one, they have a special place in God's heart because that's who God is. And also, I think it's because God likes to choose the things of the world that no one else likes to choose. Yes. You know what society's good at? Society's good at marginalizing and ostracizing people that don't fit a mold. Yes. Society throws broken people away. God seems to collect them. Yes. And he gets these shepherds in, and he goes, you know, I choose the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. Yes. I'll use the weakest parts of the world to confound the strongest parts of the world. I'll use things that are not to confound the minds of those that are. Yes, I think about, man, God, you called Rashad out of Orange County. I, I, I belong in like, like some other part of the country. I'm not going to say someplace to offend somebody, but I'm, like, I'm not smart enough to pastor in Orange County. These people are smart, God. But you know what God likes to do is he likes to use people that aren't as smart. Come on. Yes, to reach people that are really smart, which makes you feel good about yourself. Come on. Yes. And not me. I think that God enjoys coming to shepherds because shepherds have a place in his heart because that's who he is. Because shepherds are those that are not but have the power to confound those that are. And number three, I think this is powerful because shepherds actually, uh, you know what they would do is they would raise lambs for sacrifice. And I think the reason on that particular Christmas morning, which I think is interesting, that God actually encountered them at their workplace. They were working, it was probably time and a half. Come on, it was nighttime. They're working the graveyard shift. And it's, it, it would have been holiday pay. Come on, had Christ already been born. But they're out in the field. And what do we know about the story? It actually says that, uh, it says that Jesus comes, or God uh, sends an angel, and he announces where Jesus was going to be. And I believe it's because God wanted these shepherds that had an appreciation for lambs that would be sacrificed. And he wanted them to be kind of the first, come on, responders of what the Lamb of God that would take away the sin of humanity once and for all would look like in child form. And so we see here that, number one, I believe that Christmas and Christianity, the parallels this morning, is that I believe it's about a grace encounter. What do you mean grace encounter? I love the fact that the shepherds did not wake up and say, you know what today I'm going to do? I'm going to discover the meaning of life. I'm going to discover the purpose of Christmas. I am going to encounter the king of all kings. They did not select their appointed day. God, in his merciful grace, said, you know what I'm going to do? 
I'm going to put these guys in the right place at the right time, and I'm going to come to their fields. I'm going to encounter them in front of their sheep, and I'm going to give them opportunity to be a part of something that they can never sign up for themselves. Good spot for an amen. amen. So that's what Christianity is about. You know what it is? You're here today. You're like, Mark, why am I listening to a message that maybe no one in my family's ever listened to? I would say that Christianity's moments like these creases in time that God gives us a grace window to encounter who he is. Some of you, this might be the only church service you're in the rest of your life if you don't want. And this is a crease in time that you can actually say, God, if you are real, if you do care, if you do love me, even online, if you are a, a living, speaking, talking God, meet me where I am right now. I don't know who you are, but I know this, that God is in the business of inviting these grace encounters. We don't earn them. We don't deserve them. You don't read enough scriptures. You don't pass out enough Bibles. You don't go on a long enough missions trip. We do not earn our way into God invitations. Number two, it's not only is Christianity and Christmas about grace encounters. It's about God moments. You know what I've learned about God moments? It's really cool. It's found in what, what the angel tells the shepherds. He says that when God's moment shows up, when this moment shows up, five things are going to happen to you. And these things are going to transform you. And by the way, this is what I believe. If you, if you want to take an inventory, if you've ever had a God moment, here's how I would define God moments predicated upon Luke chapter 2. It says <clears throat> that God moments, number one, they will always affect the way that you view fear. God moments will always affect the way that you see and you perceive fear. That's why the angel said, do not be afraid. Why did he say not to be afraid? He said, I, I have good news for you. I believe that if you're here today, very important to write down a note, is that God moments will always affect the way that you view what's scary and what's not scary in life. Some of us fear things like, man, there's so many phobias and fears, you know, tarantulas. That's legit. <clears throat> so many fears, most of which are all learned. The only two fears that we're born with is loud noise and, and falling. Every other fear we actually learn in our life. We're only born with two natural fears. And, and so this is interesting to me, intriguing to me. I think most of us live, I, I was watching a TV show, this, I like watching House Hunters International. Yes. Don't judge me. <laughs> and uh, I love watching the show, but there's, a, there's one show, this lady was scared of everything. And I just thought to myself, my God, it's crazy how everything is scary when you're not aware of how big God is. God has a way of putting all fears in their proper place. Jesus said, do not fear the one that can torture the body. Don't fear the one that can dock your pay. Don't fear the one that can make, file an a, a IRS you know, audit. Do not fear the one that can only mess with you temporarily. He said, I would, be the one, I would revere the God that has power over eternity. When you see how large God is, it puts all the little phobias in their rightful little cages. I believe that he said this. He says, do not fear because I got good news for you. Yes. See, fear is, the Bible says it this way, that perfect love cast out. Love. Perfect what? Love. What is God defined as? God is. Love. So wherever God is, fear. Some say it like this, that you know the presence of God by peace, like you know the presence of darkness by fear. Fear is not the opposite of faith. It's the opposite of love. All right, we'll keep going. 
That was better than your response. I blessed myself. I'm like, that was the Lord. I didn't know that. I, uh, I really do believe that this is so, so imperative that when God moments arrive in our lives, it'll affect the way that you view fear. It'll also affect the way that you view good news. When you have a, a moment with God, you realize, man, this is actually good. I don't know if you've been there before, but I had, I've had moments in my life that God shows up so strong that I get emotional, start crying. Yeah. I remember one time I was crying at a camp when I was in high school, and some of my buddies, they're like, are you okay? Because I've never been in an atmosphere like that. You okay? <laughs> you hurt? I was like, I'm not crying because I'm in pain. I'm crying because I'm overwhelmed with his goodness. It is the goodness of God, as Paul writes, that leads men to want more of him. Yes. Never seen one person, which by the way, if you know someone like this, just inform them. I've never seen anyone at a sporting event walking by a man with a sign that says turn or burn, with a microphone yelling, you're going to hell. I've never seen one person fall to their knees and say, today's my day. Yeah. You talk me into it. <sighs> It's not angry Christians that actually reveal the goodness of God. It's good news that leads us to want God. No, it's angry Christians, Mark. They have lots of fruit. I've talked to some of these guys. Like, how many people have you led to the Lord? They're like, heard one time one of us did. It's like, there's got to be a better way, a better usage of time here. I believe that good news is, number one, it's good. And I think that when God, when you have a moment with God, it'll always make you more aware of how good he is. That's why you ever feel condemned in church? Like, man, I feel like I'm a loser. I feel like I'm not good enough. I can't be good enough. I'm not doing good enough. The voice of the accuser, that's what the devil does. He accuses us of what we're not. But God is not the voice of the accuser. He's actually, he's actually the lover of the saints. And what Jesus is good at is bringing you awareness of how good he is. So God moments will do this. It'll eradicate fear. It'll actually bring good news. And good news will always do this. It'll always lead to the Holy Spirit giving you great joy. Listen, happiness is determined by happenings. So it's not happening, you're not happy. But joy is different than happiness because it's not determined by your happenings. Joy is actually one of the nine fruits of the Holy Spirit. So if the Holy Spirit is in you, one of the things that he brings with himself is the attitude of joy. Neuroscientists have proven that it's impossible to be grateful and complaining at the same time. That you actually can't be grateful and discouraged simultaneously. But wherever there is a lack, uh, I should say, whenever they said there was a a focus on complaints, there was always an increase of discouragement. Are you, are you with me today? But they, they've proven this, that you cannot be grateful and discouraged simultaneously. And that's why I believe the Holy Spirit comes inside of us. You're like, Mark, everything's falling apart in my life. Well, what is working? I think sometimes we got to remind ourselves of what is working. Are your legs still working? Are they still supporting your upper body? Come on. You still sucking air? Your lungs still work? Come on, are your eyes still working? I think so many times we focus on what's not. We lose sight of the joy that is. Number four, are you still with me? God moments will not only affect fear, affect good news, great joy. Is I've learned this, that if you have a real encounter with Jesus, you will always leave that moment with a greater love for all people. 
I question, I honestly question the validity of people that say they're Christians, but they're racist. I question the validity of people that, ha that hate human beings. The Bible says if you hate your brother, the light of Jesus is not in you. There's something about God's presence that even melts your heart towards people you normally would not like. And that's why I think, man, if I can just get on a soapbox for a second and say, man, be careful with your words, even on social media. I don't know. My mom always told me this. If you don't have anything nice to say. That has been lost in a generation, though. I think it's so important in our day and age that we actually, we, we let God give us his heart for all people. What about people that bother you? That's a good question. How about this? Try praying for them. How would you pray for an enemy? You know what I've learned? I dare you to do this. Pray for them the way that you would want them to pray for you. You want to buy a house this year? Pray that those enemies would get houses this year. You want to get a raise this year? Come on, pray that your enemies would get raises and bonuses. Are you following me today? I promise you, my, one of my, my Bible uh, college professors said, if you will pray for your enemies the way you wish they would pray for you, eventually your enemies will become people that you actually enjoy and love. It is the weirdest thing. Do you know how stones get smooth at the bottom of rivers? By rubbing against other jagged stones. You could say this way, that mature Christians get smooth by allowing the friction of annoyances, personality conflicts, political differences. Come on. When you would actually embrace and go, you know what, God, I'm going to love the way you love. Something awesome begins to happen. So we find ourselves in God moments that give us love for all people. And finally, we know that God moments always make us aware of how much we need saviors. I just believe, we don't, we don't realize this, but our greatest need is saving. It really is. I mean, I'll prove it to you by getting any of your kids, my kids, and none of us have to teach them how to be selfish, how to not share. Kenzie, don't share. She knew that already. Kenzie, say my. Oh, you already knew that word. Kenzie, say you can't have that. Oh, no, you already had that phrase down. Give it back. No, you got that one already, too. I had to teach my kids the vernacular of generosity. Why? Because we're born under an endemic nature that we're prone. Some people say we're pretty much good. We occasionally do bad. I think we're pretty much bad, and occasionally we do good things. And listen, if our greatest need was money, thousands of years ago, God would have sent his son as an economist. And he would have generated volumes of money so we could all retire at 29 and golf at Monarch, come on, blinks, every day of our lives. If that was our greatest need. If our greatest need was entertainment, God would have sent us maybe a, a computer that sang called Adele. <laughs> if our greatest need, if our greatest need was, uh, I don't know, if it was, if it was technology, 2,000 years ago, God would have sent us a uh, scientist. But God in his, in his omnisciency knew that our greatest need would actually be salvation. Yes. So he sent us uh, really the answer to our greatest heartfelt need. Yes. One scholar said the problem of humanity, the, he said the heart of the human problem is the problem of the human heart. Yes. That actually you can't, something in this thing that needs the saving of God, yes. the redeeming of God. 
It's interesting to me that God moments make you aware that, God, we need a Savior. Notice what he says. He says, today in Bethlehem, a Savior is born. Christ the Lord. The band came up almost finished. Christ, say with me, the Lord. The Greek word for Christ is Christos, and it literally means anointed one. And in the Old Testament, it's translated Messiah. Anointed one. Say with me, anointed one. In the Bible days, even these shepherds would have known only three people groups got anointed. Are you ready to write this down? Kings, priests, prophets. The only three people groups that would get anointed in Bible days in the world of antiquity was kings, priests, and prophets. And uh, very interesting to me that these, that these shepherds, they're, they're, they're told about the anointed one that's going to come who would actually be anointed Lord. And so kings, priests, prophets. I believe that Jesus, he was anointed like a king, like a priest, like a prophet, because that's who he is in all of our lives. Christmas and Christianity is about Jesus being, watch this, our, our king, our priest, and our prophet. Let me explain. Why is he our priest? Because priests in Bible days were the only ones that had access to go into the presence of God. When Jesus died on the cross... It says the veil was ripped from top to bottom because prior to Jesus dying on the cross, the only place you could experience the manifest presence of God was once a year on the Day of Atonement when the priest went into the Holy of Holies where the Indiana Jones Ark of the Covenant was. It's once a year. But what happened was when Jesus died on the cross, it says the veil was ripped top to bottom. This was signifying no longer would people have to come in that Jesus and God would actually go out. So you know what he does? If you're, if you're like, Mark, why is Christmas important? Because it's, it's, it's literally the moment in time that God says, no longer are you going to try to work your way to me. I'm actually going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to do the work for you so that you have access to my presence. Jesus is our priest, our high priest. The book of Hebrews is all about it. And basically in Hebrews, the, the author writes that we can now come boldly to the throne of grace to obtain mercy, to find help, to receive grace in our time of need. And if you're here today and you're like, Mark, you know what I need? I need access to the presence of God. I got good news. Jesus on Christmas came so that we could have a high priest. Number two, he came as not only a priest but a prophet. Why were prophets anointed? Why were they important? Because prophets were seers and they were hearers. And I believe that Jesus came as our prophet. Why? Because he wanted humanity to have access to hearing his voice. Jesus said that my sheep know my So funny that we, so many Christians think that God stopped speaking 2,000 years ago. The Bible I read says it's the logos and it's the rhema. It was actually written once and for all, but he continues to speak through it over and over and over again. I read the Bible before. Well, guess what? The Bible has the power to read you. And even though the pages don't change and the literature doesn't change, the way that God speaks to you in your life, because you're changing, God's word will come to you in a fresh way. That's why you can read the same chapter every day of your life and get something new out of it. Because even though it's not changing, you are. And when you change, the way his word impacts your life changes. We serve a God that has the power to, to speak. People say, Mark, what's different about Jesus than Buddha? the Muhammad and all these other prophets and religious figureheads we serve a God that's alive how do we know because he hears because he speaks some of you are like desperate to hear God's voice and you're in the right church today 
some churches that have God on mute. We're not one of those churches. He's going to speak to some of you. He's going to give some of you dreams. Some of you are going to get visions. I can believe today. Some of you going to get a vision today. Going to get a vision. My grandma was 13 years old when she had a vision of people falling into the lake of fire in Asia. God actually called her in that, that moment, 13, that she would actually go on to UCLA, US, USC. She became a linguistics expert, learned Cantonese, Mandarin, and high school because she knew that one day that vision at 13 would come to pass and she'd be responsible for telling people the good news in China and Japan. I believe that, come on, God can speak in a dream, speak in a vision. He can, he can speak in a moment just like this, a sovereign moment. It says that, that Peter was in a trance. He's, he's like in a trance and he saw like God, these men coming to him, Simon the Tanner's house. Go with them. Saw sheets. Go rise. Kill him. He had these visions. I, I actually feel like, man, some of you are going to get like a vision for your life. Why? Because God still speaks. God, listen to someone. God is going to missionalize your vocation. Why are you so good at business? It's because God wants to use your business to actually expand the kingdom of God. Why are you such a great leader? It's because God wants to use that gift to actually lead other people into the kingdom of God. Man, I feel like preaching this morning. Wish my voice was stronger. Here's what I know, is that when you encounter the priest, the prophet, how about the Lord, the king? You know what kings did? They got anointed for? They got anointed so they can rule with authority in such a way that the hearts of the people could trust loyally. You know what God wants you to know is that he is the king, that he is fully deserving of your highest trust and your highest loyalty. Jesus is our priest, prophet, and king. If you believe it, say amen. Here's where I land the plane. If you're here, why is this this story prominent? Why is it important? Because it starts off with them in a field. They're at work. Angels arrive. They say, come and see. See what they did on Christmas? They do what Christians should do. They should actually go and see. Andrew told Peter, hey, come and... I believe Christianity is not just about believing blindly. It's about going and experiencing something real for yourself. And when you taste the realness of God, and when you sense the peace of God that transcends understanding, and that that actually disarms all the arguments in your head, and begins to lift the depression and darkness off of your life, and you get free in your soul... I want to warn you that when you have a God encounter with Jesus, what happens, preacher? I believe this fundamentally, that when you have an encounter with God, it says that they actually left the presence of Jesus as a baby, and they returned to their field, praising and glorifying God. God spoke to me last night, and here's what I want to land the plane, is I really feel like Ocean's Church, we are going to be a church like these early shepherds, that actually experience God in such a real way that we go back to our fields and we go back to our sheep with a different attitude, with a different word in our mouth, with a different disposition, different demeanor. I believe the world is full of people that live in their fields and, and, and are with their sheep with a downcast, God's not real, God doesn't care, let's endure life. We serve a God that wants us to go into our fields with authority. We serve a God that wants us, our sheep, to benefit from our relationship with God. That's why Jesus said, strike the shepherd and the sheep scatter. What happens when the shepherds are revived? The sheep are revived. What happens when the shepherds have an awakening spiritually? 
Come on, the fields are awakened spiritually. We will be a church. Are you hearing me today? Watch the line. We will be oceans. We'll be a church that shepherds will be revived. And when you revive a shepherd, guess what? You benefit sheep. And when you benefit sheep, come on, come on, uh, come on, Peter, feed my lambs, tend my sheep, take care of my people. I believe that Christianity is not about, listen, it's not about just you having an experience, feeling good about yourself, going back to your home, closing your garage before your neighbors see you, hiding on your porch or your back patio because you got rid of your porch. Come on. So I don't want to talk to those people, those heathens. I want you to know, I think Christianity isn't just about going and seeing. I think it's about, it's about having to go and share. They went back. They returned to their fields. I want you to know that one of the things God will do when you encounter him is he'll send you back to the same place a different way. Think different, see different, believe different. Why am I working with the same people, but it's a different environment? Have they changed? No. Have you changed? Yes. That's what God does. This is what Christmas is about. It's about encountering a love that will actually change you from the inside to the outside. And it'll actually make your field and all the sheep that are around you healthier and stronger. If you believe it, come on, say amen. Thanks for listening to our podcast. Have a great week.